Okay, today we've got none other than Sharon Matthew on, who is an incredible entrepreneur and thinker around all things AI ethics. I'm going to let him explain a little bit more about his current position, and then we're going to jump into the full conversation. I'm Sharon Matthew, founder of AI Technot, one of the largest AI community in the north of UK. I'm an independent advisor, uh, entrepreneur on AI uh, technologies. And uh, I'm here to talk about how we can create a sustainable and accountable future with innovation. So if you did not know, Are You a Robot is a series that aims to tackle some of the greatest challenges and questions that arise from AI. And the way that we're doing that is by getting some of the best and brightest minds in the field on here to talk with me about what exactly they're dealing with, how they see the current state of affairs. So there's incredible challenges that we must face with ethical questions around AI and related technologies. And the conversation doesn't just stop here. I want to let you know that, and I want to invite you actually to come to our Slack community where we're continuing conversations around all of these different subjects that we bring up in the podcast or video cast. And if you'd like to join the Slack community, there is a link to that below. Also, I would be amiss if I did not mention our incredible sponsor, Ethics Grade. They are doing some really cutting-edge stuff when it comes to AI benchmarking. And if you or your company would like to know what your AI ethics test score is, then give them a shout. You can find all the information to that in the link below also. So now, without further ado, let's talk with Sharon. Are you a robot? Sharon, it's great to have you on here. Welcome to Are You a Robot? I am super excited to talk to you about all these different endeavors that you've got going on. And I think it would probably be useful mm-hmm. for our listeners to know how you got into AI and how you got into tech, how you got into being where you are right now. Awesome. No, thank you for this amazing opportunity. Excited to share this with the wider world. Um I'm a bit of a geek. (laughs) I think that's the best way to describe myself. So two decades ago, uh, doing my undergrad degree, I built a robot, a robot myself using assembly language programming, microcontrollers, sensors, and wrote um, image processing program using VC++. Mm. That was a painful project. It took me a year, and it only worked for a minute. (laughs) <laughs> and I decided, you know what, my dream of doing robotics and AI is is pretty difficult. And uh, I decided I had a job offer from an amazing company uh, called British Telecom who came to India, recruited graduates in their third year. So I had a job even before I graduated. Nice. And I was like, well, this is how it's meant to be. I'm meant to be in the IT world, uh, not in robotics and AI. And uh, I, had a, I had a dream to build robots for uh, preventing war um, we used to see you know lots of soldiers you know being losing their life and uh, people dying thanks to mine explosion and uh, surveillance was always uh, you know a tricky one even if you're at home or wherever you are so i was creating this robot to prevent people from dying or protect people 
And uh, I just felt like, you know, I left a dream halfway through. <laughs> and uh, being in IT world for 15 years, here comes cloud. Here comes cloud-enabled AI technology. And it just felt like all this GPU conversation, which I was doing in an assembly language two decades ago, it all made sense. And it naturally mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, this is this is what I'm meant to do. So I went from IT to data, data to AI and analytics. And yeah, really it felt it felt like I was doing something that I've been designed to do or meant mm-hmm. to do. And I was fulfilling a purpose. Because of which, um, yeah, so uh IT world, in, you know, been in IT world for 15 years, uh, been working with Microsoft consultancies for uh, six plus years, working with IBM previously on a global scale, delivering large scale uh, data AI capabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that really uh, drives me is, is the passion to share knowledge and awareness to the wider world and how to use technology in a positive way. Yeah, I think that's such a noble dream that you had the idea of hey how can we make robotics switch them out and we just lose robots instead of losing human lives yeah and yeah it's a great thing to think about and why we don't have that fully yet i mean i know there's pushes for it um so but at the end of the day it's more of a a band-aid for the this real problem why are we having wars yeah that's a whole nother conversation i think we can get into on another on another podcast that we can do the idea here though that you're speaking about i mean i know you have a lot of stuff going on so it would be helpful if you can orient me on what you're doing and and what it's targeting because you're a pretty prolific guy Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I do a few things. Uh, I think to start with, one is the AI community called AI Tech North. Uh, we started running a lot of awareness programs, events, summits, conferences with the purpose of democratizing AI and ethical use of AI and technology. Um, I used to work in London and with large brands across Europe. So Paris, Geneva, uh, Stockholm and London, of course. And I live in the north of UK and I could see this digital divide. So AI Technot's purpose was to actually bridge this digital divide or uh, lower the barrier of AI adoption. When we were running all of that event, it was community. It ran big event once a year and lots of small events. So we saw that small events were bringing more traction. So we started to talk about everything around AI, like blockchain, smart city, uh, fintech, quantum, mm-hmm all sorts of stuff that kind of links into the advanced innovation, which resulted into a, a, a YouTube channel last yeah. year called the Innovation Exchange. Uh, and Innovation Exchange became its own thing. So it was on an AI Technology website, like a, like a Netflix sort of experience. So Innovation Exchange was running weekly awareness events, pretty much what AI Technology was doing for the last three years. We started doing this on a rapid scale, in an agile fashion. And that became a global phenomena because of A, the name, which is Innovation Exchange, uh, taking the north away from it, it kind of helped. And uh, again, we were getting global attention, which means we had experts from Canada, New York, all the way from Japan and New Zealand sort of coming and sharing knowledge with 
audience from UK and outside. So it was really a global innovation exchange. So that's another project that I'm currently working on. Pretty much I'm creating a Netflix of technology content mm-hmm. and awareness. So that's my project number two. Uh, the third one, which is something that I'm absolutely passionate about, is called public intelligence. Now, for last n number of years, I've been hearing all sorts of you know amazing stuff about, about ethics, responsible AI, and every time I would invite an expert to speak about it, the conversation wouldn't go beyond the point of it's got to be fair, accountable. Someone needs to take an action. So yeah, and it ends there, and I would feel. Hmm, Who's going to do this? And I'm yeah. up there. Yeah, uh, we can do it. And I, and I know what to do it because I come from the implementation pain point perspective. I've seen it how to do it. I've seen it how not to do it. And I've seen how made uh, data AI technology help you know businesses become you know uh, richer or grow more. And I just felt like we need to make this a bit more open, a bit more accessible and really driven by society instead of other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the regulations and the agenda, the, the toolkit are heavily dictated or driven by, you know, corporate strategies. Mm-hmm. Go- governance, mm-hmm. governance is playing a catch-up, and governance is, again, advised by corporate leaders. So I think the direction of AI, I felt it was pretty pretty. I would say I wouldn't. I don't want to strongly say it's wrong, but I felt like it probably needs other part of that puzzle to be solved, which was people yeah. and the society, and society needs to drive this. So public intelligence is uh, an angle or a, or a twist to ethics, uh, where people are driving the the ethical and responsible innovation in a democratic fashion. That's fascinating. And the idea of, yeah, AI is a bit misguided and the conversations around the ethical parts of it are misguided. And that lines up perfectly. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here today with what we're doing, right? Like we're trying to have these conversations and bring them out, bring them to the forefront. And so I'm I'm wondering about public intelligence. How are you going about doing this? How are you, because it's such... That's a great point too that you say the conversations were just like, hey, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this. But it didn't go deeper into like, here's exact steps that we can take or here's the next steps, like action items that all of us should be looking at trying to do. So how are you doing that with public intelligence? So uh, this is something that I've been thinking for over years and uh, been trying to sort of create this uh, non-functional requirement for ethical AI design. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the approach that we're taking is first awareness. So we, we are creating a documentary. Uh, so we're working on a documentary, which is almost of the scale and impact-wise, very similar to Social Dilemma, nice. um, but around public intelligence. <clears throat> so what happens when public intelligence is breached and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's one part for awareness. Other thing is we also are writing a white paper with members from IEEE, World Economic Forum, of AI Council UK, and a couple of other uh, influential experts and legal advisors as well. So we're trying to write a white paper around this principle, you know, what this means and how it works and everything. <clears throat> Last but not least, uh, we got a website which will host this toolkit 
toolkit is open, right? So you start from this from a question on first principle. Uh, it will guide you through the design thinking process, which ensures that any innovator, any designer, could go through this step by step and embed responsible uh, human rights, fairness, all the stuff that everyone is talking about, but in a yeah. practical manner, you could just embed all of this. And so on along those lines like that, embedding, I think, is probably the most interesting because that's where you, well, all of it's very interesting. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to uh, diminish any of that. But what I think is really interesting is the idea of a of those concrete things that we can be implementing right now, right? Is that, if I'm understanding that correctly, it's like you're saying if anyone wants to come and apply this design thinking to make sure that they're meeting the standards, they can. And so what I'm wondering is like, how, how can we do that? Is there, can you explain to me how that plays out? Is it someone like a consultant comes in and, or is it just like a PDF you download? Uh, yeah, so no, it's it's again open. So you you probably don't need a consultant unless you want some extreme advice on on, on some of the principles or, or particular objectives that you need to meet. But it's open. So you and I, if you want to design an AI solution, what we don't have is the global society's view and requirements, right? Because this is lacking. Any innovator who goes out there, I'm going to throw in a few names. Tesla, right? Tesla went and decided to build this driverless car. Tesla probably did not consider the non-functional requirements, the global requirements or requirements where the key stakeholders will be impacted, which is us as a people and taxi drivers, for example, right? So it really ensures in the design thinking process, how are you taking these these measures, right? Uh, And we have five principles. The first one, I think, which makes this the entire uh, public intelligence, you know, you know, sort of, it makes sense. The first principle is what makes complete sense. And it's the foundational principle, which is right to intelligence. Right to intelligence is when you create artificial intelligence, you're actually creating artificial human intelligence. From an intellectually speaking, <laughs> or from an intellectual perspective, that intelligence did not exist. Someone mm-hmm. was doing that or someone owned it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's ensuring that your principle one or your first criteria is what are you trying to create, right? And what are you trying to augment or what are you trying to displace? And it really gives them some, some guidance in terms of how you should shape your AI. And if it was to say, I'm going to create a driverless car that's going to go out there and really run taxi company independently. Now that is concerning, (laughs) right? Ethically and from a social uh, perspective, you are disrupting an ecosystem of taxi drivers. There's a governance governance around it, i.e. there's DBLA, there's uh, licensing council and everything around it. They, They got family, there's livelihood associated to it. And there's a future generation waiting to take that job as well, right? So, the right to intelligence really sort of makes you think about all of this before you start innovating. And the next step is how do you manage the displacement of intelligence? Yeah. Now, there are different types of you know 
uh, AI technology that displaces us in, in different ways and in different manner. Some displace at scale, okay? So let's say a smartphone, billions of people have it, right? Once it was launched. There could be a, another AI that's flipping burgers, right? So you can imagine the scale of flipping burger will be small and you know the impact might be low. And the speed at which it impacts as well, right? So we factor all of this in displacement and also the depth of displacement. Uh, flipping burger, the depth is probably just at the kitchen level, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone would be happy to let robot do the flipping. Whereas if there was a robotic surgeon, the depth of this displacement is pretty serious. There's medical, uh, you know, schools, universities, there's, there's certification process, there's junior doctor uh process of you know getting to that level yeah textbooks or, yeah textbooks. professors yeah exactly you disrupt disrupting the entire ecosystem so even tooling yeah I see that. and and the governance process around it as well right uh, it, it, it's it's all complicated and people have invested time and energy around it so displacement calculates all this and also the wastage that we create now we say oh driverless car is sustainable but think about it when it goes out there, you got to calculate the CO2 emissions mm-hmm. of displacing a particular car, a work, workforce, and, you know, emotional and, and physical and climatic, you know, uh, disruption that it creates. So, yeah, the list goes on. So it really uh, makes you think, and this is something that we saw on a plateau so that it really helps people who are trying to prototype or go MVP with AI and don't have the budget to get this, get this sort of foundational toolkit or requirements in place to sort of think that way right from the start. So it's the ability to ask different kinds of questions yeah. and not just assume. Yeah. And so bringing in that framework will will help them to understand that. And I'm wondering about like to your point of let's take Tesla again for the example. And when they start to look at, hey, this new technology that we're creating is going to displace a lot of people. Well, what is the solution there for them? You know, because it's not like they're going to say, okay, we'll stop creating technology. We'll stop innovating. Uh, And so is that more along the side of the other step where you're talking about, okay, there's, What's the level of depth in this displacement and how do you offset that? Yeah, and I think I, I, I really want to quote, uh, I think it was Elon Musk uh, who said this, where you know the, the regulations are not ready and AI could be the end of civilization. I think that's what he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think what, what's upsetting is, you know, people know, smart people know you know, guys like Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking, they know what this could lead into. What we haven't done is we haven't given society the, the power. I think it's it's just been that, oh, there's no re- repercussions or consequences of building this. No one's calling it out. Um, people are just accepting. So when you install Facebook or WhatsApp, you just have one choice. I agree. And yeah. you agree to use it. And there's no other way. There's not a single line of agreement that goes from people to the innovators. So what, I, what I've done with public intelligence is I've changed the table around. Changed the table around in a way that these principles, all five, so the first one is right to intelligence. 
Second one is called uh, displacement protection. Uh, third one is called risk evaluation. Uh, and then there is purpose-driven design. And the last one is accountable redesign. Now, that last one is the, 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 the key and the, and the most important one. So first and last, they really tie everything together. The redesign is, if you were to do a greenfield or build a greenfield uh, AI solution, yeah, you got this requirement right in front of you. So we've done the hard work for you to just get started in an ethical, responsible fashion. All the requirements are there in front of you. If you have already built a solution like Tesla or Facebook, you always will do an update, software update. You will do a next release. And this is your opportunity to accountably redesign. And when you redesign, you go through this process and all of this assessment all these five principles and the questions or directions underneath, objectives underneath, are transparent, which means you can see what Tesla is saying or doing or designing. And it is public. It's like public GitHub of uh, your, your AI design, really. And if you and I went in and said, how's Tesla performing from an ethical perspective, they have this overall score of all the objectives, if they are met or not. And if they need advice, you know, we, we can offer advice as well. But and so it's straightforward. So what happens with this is, um, going back to one of the principles, which is around the purpose-driven and accountability, it ensures that, okay, fine, you designed the solution. What are you doing to prevent things like social disruption, okay? What are you doing so that you don't give intellectual advantage to one particular entity? And that entity could be a business or someone who shouldn't be owning all of this. So imagine if Tesla allowed anyone to have any number of driverless cars. Intellectually speaking, you can only drive one car at a time, right? What would happen if everyone was allowed to drive as many cars as they like? That's where the problem starts. Uber could do the same because Uber has 4 million taxis under their name. Not Literally, they don't own it, but they subscribe to that service. And when they subscribe to that service, they subscribe to their intelligence, taxi drivers' intelligence to drive. Uber hasn't got that capability, right? They are, they are a disruptive platform. They don't own a taxi. They don't own a taxi driver. So if, if, there, if there's a policy that said, you know, one person, one car, intellectually speaking, you can drive one at a time, you can own three, they really need to think about this. And technically speaking, driver ID could be managed. If you can do AI, you can manage a driver ID and have one, one driver ID active at a time, right? So they really got to design in a way that they're honoring people, society, the displacement, the sustainability side of things as well. Mm, so I, I like this idea of the GitHub and making things transparent for the rest of the world and showing what different companies are doing as far as their AI programs and how ethical, how they're managing to be ethical about that. And yeah. so... There, it seems to me like there's a few different people, and maybe it's just because I, I talk to people like uh, this on a daily basis, right? And so it's a very interesting field that's starting to emerge. And I think a lot of people are calling for that, more transparency. Yeah. We want to see what's going on 
and we want to see how you're answering these difficult questions. And so I see many different ways of going about that, yeah. right? Like one that you just mentioned is, is your uh, framework. I've also heard frameworks about auditing. I've also heard grading systems. Uh, how do you feel this is going to evolve over time? Like, is it going to be something where all of these just kind of standardize on one? Is it going to be the government steps in and says, hey, this is how it's got to be. Here's some regulations around it. I mean, we're seeing in the EU, the EU is starting to say, it's starting to try and push through more regulations and starting to have, they know that this needs to happen. And like you said, regulation goes so slow that it's like playing catch up. And it's not, yeah. we're not at the place yet where we can say, okay, the regulations are, are solid. And nor do I, I wonder if we will ever be at that place, right? Where yeah. we can say, okay, regulations are good. We're in a good place. Like, <laughs> because technology and especially in this sector, it moves so fast. So what are your thoughts on how that will, will consolidate or how that will play out in the next couple of years or even um, decade? Yeah, so our plan was uh, to empower innovators, designers, technologists, even governing bodies to really look at this in a as a single pane of glass and also view it as a, as a democratic opinion and views that's been, you know, driven by people. So one thing that we have done different to uh, most of the other framework is uh, yes, everyone's pretty much is trying to do the same thing, agreed. How can we get some consensus? And to get consensus, I think we need people to get involved and take action. So public intelligence is, uh, we are proud to say, we didn't get influenced by, you know, any other framework. Uh, we know what you was doing, you know, in principle, we know what Microsoft was doing, what IBM was doing. Uh, we tried to sort of, you know, look at everyone and see, you know, what's the best way we can help everyone. Right. So if you went with baseline five requirements that people say, you know, yeah, this is this is something that we need to cover as a minimum so that we have accountable and sustainable innovations for our future. Uh, and that's it. We, we are here not to disrupt. We are here to empower people and the innovators equally. Uh, again, we saw that when we tried to reach to regulators, the, the bureaucracy takes over and the amount of time it takes to get something in place and moving, it is long. And we are dealing with the global regulation here. So how can we, in one way, empower everyone instead of going one at a time? So we went, let's become, let's, let's people centrally support public intelligence, these five principles. If, by the way, people will be voting this principle so they can say, oh, like one, two, three, I don't like four, I like five. So they can vote all these five principles or collectively the whole concept, which means with the votes, it's like an open petition, petition, you know, just the way you yeah. do love yeah. or anything. So it really becomes the artifact for anyone to say, yeah, this is it. I think our mission is not to disrupt what's happening, it's there to empower them and really use this as a reference. So we are running campaigns. We're taking it uh, a, a slightly different angle, which is a public-driven angle. And uh, our website was supposed to go launch uh, law <laughs> live last night, uh, but 
there is some technical glitch. It might be going later this week. Um, well, by the time this comes out, it'll be live. Oh, so we'll awesome. that's drop a link to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's called, it's called publicintelligence.ai. Yeah, as nice. it should be. Uh, yeah. yeah, and and uh, we're trying to put all this, you know, uh, awareness to white paper and everything out there, so that people feel like, yeah, I feel this is the way it should be. At this minute, people are not aware what AI is all about. So we're trying to break it down for them. And AI really impacts everyone. So we've got travelers driving. There will be farm, there's already farmerless farming. Soon there will be teacherless teaching, thanks to you know, extended reality and AI. And it's repeating the same thing over and over again. So you know, just run last year's notes and modules this year. Managerless management, thanks to AI, you know, all the calendar meeting, this, that admin could be done by, you know, AI, right? There's a possibility of builderless building with, you know, 3D printing and robotics, you know, going out there, putting bricks and, you know, clay and everything and just building things up. So if you don't take action now and don't work on the foundational principle, which is artificial human intelligence learns from humans, and there is a mixed opinion about it. And the mixed opinion is, first obvious one, is my job will be impacted. And uh, one concern that I always have is people say, or especially PwC's report, that clearly says 40% of the jobs will be lost by 2030. Yeah, in bold writing. Then we got another, uh, you know, AI campaign that says, you know, 15 trillion in contribution to the economy uh, globally. These two don't add up. Mm. So what's happening in between? Who's taking the hit? Who's getting impacted? And who should be really taking action? Society, every one of us, you know, uh, will be impacted by it. Just like how industrial revolution has impacted the, the low earning or the working force uh, at that time. With intelligence revolution, anyone who's got a logic or, or a pattern of working, that could be digitalized. And once yeah. it's digitalized, we got a big problem. Intelligence, once digitized, could be harnessed, domesticated, and even colonized. And that has serious impact. We might create a intellectual colonization, which is, again, one of the concepts that we talk about in our white paper, uh, how we really need to design things so that we don't get to that stage in the next decade or two. And slowly, the side effects of that we're already witnessing. If someone said, uh, calculate what is 16 plus 7, you know, if you're from maths background or engineering, you might, okay, do that in your head. But others, they might open calculator and Google. And these are, these are simple things. But think about it. In next decade or so, we might experience that heavy reliant on AI might reduce the natural human rationalization and capability. So that's another trend that we need to work with or against. <laughs> what we don't want is a future generation who's so reliant on technology that if there's no Wi-Fi or 5G, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're pretty much think. don't know what to do. You're toast. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a fascinating one. The idea of outsourcing all of your brain power and outsourcing all of your critical thinking skills or just thinking uh, to technology is really interesting. And 
I I think about that sometimes, you know, like the, I used to say it a lot about, you know, smartphones and dumb people. And it, it feels like that sometimes. So I could see that and especially the trend, like you talk about, if we trend more towards that and if technology starts to be implanted in our bodies, like uh, who we were referencing earlier, Elon yeah. Musk, yeah. wants to do or is trying to make happen, right? Then that could be very, very difficult because it's the evolution of humans is going to start evolving towards having all of that information and not needing to think and exercise those muscles. Yeah. So the other side of it though is that okay it because we don't have to think about these things and like you you were mentioning jobs that are being taken by ai and yeah. i spoke with um a woman named sydney who is very very deep in the uh, rpa okay. sphere of things which is all about programming the robotics yeah. or basically programming it doesn't even have to be a robot. It can just be a, a program to do things, the monotonous tasks that you have to do over and over. You can program something to do that for you. And then her whole argument was that, hey, this isn't going to make someone lose their job. What it's going to do is open them up for higher level thinking and open them up to be able to spend time on things that they don't necessarily get to spend time on like those those things at the bottom of the to-do list because they're not they're not like the bullet an inch away from your head right it's like okay i can put that off and then you put it off and you put it off and then it never gets done but now because you have the ability to have all of these time consuming tasks yeah. outsourced you're able to spend more time thinking about or uh, focusing and spending energy on more higher level tasks that require creative thinking and that require these critical thinking aspects. Yeah, 100%. And I think this is, again, uh, one of our principles called purpose-driven design. Mm. So what's the purpose of this design? And really, it challenges and supports and guides uh, innovators to think this way you know what are you trying to do with, with this technology and again we, we have that whole calculation of you know is it low scale high impact or high scale high speed impact and the value adds as well uh, so purpose really plays a key key role and sometimes we don't realize there are some innovations absolutely uh, agree with what you said but there are some innovations um, I want to call out, we create algorithms under the hood and we mm -hmm. slide it under the web, web service or a platform. And we really don't know what these algorithms are doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there is good AI and then there is stealth mode AI <laughs> and uh, black box AI, uh, whichever you want to call it. And I think a good example is, um, well, I got a couple, <laughs> one, one that, we, that I've personally witnessed was I was trying, uh, I was flying to Stockholm and um, Thomas Cook went bust. Flights that I was paying like 100 pounds to go from my city to uh, Stockholm was 600. Mm. So that 
that that I'm like, wait a minute, how can you explain that? Right? Uh, algorithms took advantage of Thomas Cook going down and tracking the cookies and the demand and inflated the price. Mm. And that is, I would say, not ethical. I think taking advantage of, you know, the traffic, the, the people's situation and, and the situ you know, we also saw, you know, someone was trying to sell face masks and hand gel sanitizers when Coke yeah. kicked in at extortionate prices and people were buying it and, you know, it really helped them to sell even at the higher prices. And we shouldn't let such things happen with algorithms and technology. And I think we all, all have an accountability to be fair. We all have to think when we design algorithms in a purpose-driven fashion, you know, what is it that we're trying to achieve? So going to the grassroots level, which is, you know, put purpose at the heart of your design, put people at the heart of the design. And it, it's not there to do the bad AI things. It's, it's there to really win trust and empower people, as you said. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And getting back to the idea of the public intelligence and how you you vote for different pieces of these pillars that you think are more important. I imagine that you can suggest pillars and then people can vote for them. So yeah. it really is a, a crowdsourced method yeah. of bringing this framework to, to the companies or to, to the masses. And so there is just one hang up in my mind is that you need a bit of like a network effect. I would imagine oh, yeah, it's, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. it's no good if it's just like a hundred people that come uh, together. Uh, yeah. That. So we we are we are partnering with partners like uh, you know to name a few uh, big, big big brands, uh, but government bodies. Uh, uh, I can't disclose all of the names yet, uh, and also we uh, investing in terms of making this a global uh, people driven campaign. So the way the website is. Did, design is is like a petition that you would go i like these principles i support i like this particular idea i support or i don't like this particular part of this idea maybe i can put some comments to amend or things like that. so really keeping it as transparent as possible and anyone who supports i think the call to action is to share it beyond uh, you know at least in their network uh, as a minimum and we kind of creating that little uh, snowball effect uh, with, with public intelligence launch. So yeah, it, and, and I think it really makes sense for people to own this and acknowledge this and, and, and take action. And yeah, uh, my ambition is to get at least 1 million votes so that yes. we can confidently go and say, look, this is it. And, you know, we got climate issue. Now we got public intelligence as an issue. And the impact of that is pretty, pretty serious. Because public intelligence in a simple word is something that we have curated over centuries. Our skills, our awareness, our practice, and our intelligence. We take these things for granted. Absolutely, we take it for granted. Simple things like how the wheel works. <laughs> simple things like how to use knife and fork, right? But we have built monuments and, and wonders of the world with our intelligence. So... And we have passed it on to, you know, next generation. We have parents who are, you know, 
waiting for the kids to graduate and become doctors, lawyers, managers, or you know, take over their business and, and run their manufacturing or cottage industry. So we have an ecosystem that's designed around public intelligence. The best way I can simplify this is you probably see birds flying in the sky in a formation, right? Mm-hmm. And they do that because it reduces the drag. It helps each and everyone to sort of fly together and, and in an in a energy efficient and sustainable manner. We humans are exactly the same. So public intelligence is pretty much public right. A minute one or other thing disrupts, the whole ecosystem around it starts you know, seeing the impact and side effects of it. And I really, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I think uh, next 10 years or so, it will become even more prominent mm. that we should have taken action yesterday. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's for sure. And I appreciate the idea of taking it to the masses and democratizing this framework or what is important for people. And I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit because democracies also voted for Donald Trump. And look how that happened. You know, we all know how that turned out. So the idea here of letting people choose, is there not some, a little bit of a a flaw or a risk in that? And I wonder if it's not better to have, try and get like a a benevolent dictator, we could say. That's a a term that's thrown around a lot in, in the tech circles, right? Someone who is looking out for our good or someone who is not trying to be that like malicious dictator. They're a benevolent dictator, but at least we're not going to get the masses screaming QAnon and conspiracy theories that there has no basis in reality. And then all of a sudden, because of some social media trending topic, it becomes the most upvoted thing in on your website. Yeah, agreed. And if if I wanted to put it this way, that if public intelligence is voted for what it is and what it delivers and impacts uh, on a wider society, we could be that the mm. the good dictator <laughs> uh, in a way. Um, one thing it is for sure: when people come together, the power of people is is what drives everything. I would say iPhone is not a phone until uh, physical or people start using it physically. Mm. It's actually a expensive paperweight waiting in the box. Uh, social media, Facebook, for example, is not a platform until people start engaging and using it. So without people, none of these technologies work. So I think what we're trying to do with public intelligence is really calling out certain things that people don't acknowledge. Example, speaking about iPhone, um, iPhone keeps launching, updating, and creating you know, incompatible versions, and, and other brands do the same. Now, do we really need a, a two-millimeter thin phone with two more megapixels when the current handset was working absolutely fine? You, you, your previous headset doesn't work with this or previous or Come on, think in an accountable fashion. Think about sustainable. Do, people don't like change. People are happy with what they have. And why would we design something that just breaks apart every year or two? 
and it's expensive, <laughs> right? So these are the questions that we want people to really think, you know, come on, you're just falling. And biggest, biggest client or customer is people. So people have the power. It's 7 billion population versus FTSE 500. So the, the, the odds are completely in favor of people but people are not aware or not woken up yet to realize that. And I think we we giving them that wake-up call, which means, let's say, you want to call public intelligence the, the good dictator or, or a public intelligence party uh, yeah. or, or a campaign, which means once public intelligence is approved, we're going to do what we're doing, which is you know giving innovators the opportunity to design in a fair way. And once... They go through the assessment process, right? Five principles or how many other principles and objectives. They get a you know, publicly approved score, right? Mm-hmm. If you're five out of five, it's like a review that you have on App Store or wherever, right? Mm-hmm. And which means, yeah, you're, you're people-driven, people centric, people driven, people-centric and pe- publicly approved uh, product. And it's in benefit of, for them. Uh, Whereas if you get bad score or if you, if, you have, if you haven't done it, let's say we're talking less five, 10 years down the line, people can easily go and boycott a particular app because, hey, you haven't gone through this process. We, haven't, we can't see the transparency and people can demand that. And I think that's the way I'm seeing, you know, where people can actually drive innovation and take a bit more uh, authority because all of this really directly or indirectly impacts them in one way or the other. Yeah, it holds brands more accountable. Yeah, I can see that argument completely. And I think that's a great way of trying to do it. And what I I wonder about, though, is the the five pillars you speak of and people who are voting on these different five pillars, which ones are more important. And if people start suggesting pillars that are just outrageous, but then it goes on to some subreddit and then all of a sudden that pillar gets put up to the highest and now yeah. we have some ridiculous pillar that should be enforced. Are you as public intelligence going to step in and say, hey, this is not aligned with our morals? Or And so then the there's a very gray area, right? Because it's like, yeah, it's by the people, for the people, but... If it's too outrageous, public intelligence is going to step in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had given five options, which we think covers uh, most of the global principles and regulations. So the first one is right to intelligence. This is something that no one defines it in a in a you know in a clear fashion. Right to intelligence is again protecting. Uh, people's skills and intellectual capability and creating measures so that it's not disrupted. And if they support this, this becomes a project on its own, more research, lobbying, and a campaign runs on it. Mm. Then the next principle is purpose-driven, which is, again, everyone, most of the ethics advisors, experts, and you know, regulation agrees. So it's like an extract that supports them. And in purpose, there is automation, augmentation, there, there is, uh, you know, uh, fairness, accountability, all of that embedded within it, which means one principle has a lot more, lot of stuff from here and there. Yeah. So if someone said, oh, I, I'm not sure about, you know, 
bias and stuff. Yeah, so it's part of purpose, okay? Accountability, again, racism, bias, uh, and social divide, all of that embeds in there. So we have like a clear subparts of every uh, principle, you know, uh, exposed on the website as well. The third one, uh, which I mentioned, was displacement protection, which ensures how do you manage the entry of a new innovation or change of new innovation within the existing ecosystem and how do you manage upskilling, you know, job losses if there is any, or 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 practice or you know all that stuff uh, around it. Risk, self-explanatory, all the risk that's associated to it, uh, all the way from you know emotional, behavioral, uh, racial bias, and all of that is is all part of that. And the last one is accountable redesign. So uh, bringing accountability in redesign process and making sure everything, all the four principle is sort of embedded in your design uh, going forward. So it's, it's like five options, but it kind of covers literally the global plethora of regulations and compliance and everything that, and sustainability is also part of that. So when you're displacing, it asks you questions about sustainability. So if someone said, I, I have this to add, it either will fit in one of these five principles uh, most likely, uh, but I think we, we don't want to make it too complicated either. And we, we want to keep it as simple as possible that we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It's the, it's the headers and then you yeah. have the bullet points that yeah. Yeah. fit into that. And so you're seeing it as something that each company is going to fill out on their own and say, hey, here's how we're doing this. And then going back to that kind of the GitHub repo, this is going to be their ethics and they put it on their GitHub uh, or they, they just have it on some kind of website if you want to know. Public intelligence. So they will have this transparently available on publicintelligence.ai okay, where they can say, look, everyone, I just did my assessment. Yeah, or I went through this yep. process. This is how we have designed our app. Right. And you can see, like, you know, we are accountable, we are responsible, we are purpose driven. And it, it, it shows, you know, people can trust it. Uh, at this minute, everyone's designing in a black box fashion. So this is one way to bring the transparency and, and the trust back on with, with designers and innovators and connect, connect society to uh, you yeah. know, the applications, really, before they consume it. Yeah, the end user, yeah. making sure that the end user is in the loop. Yeah. In- this is happening. Yeah. So there's a there's a process around it where they can make this a bit more embedded in their app. They can they can say, hey, we got this as a in a score. They can transparently share that. And yeah, so we're working through that uh, as well. So that's phase two <laughs> of public intelligence. Mm. And so how do you ensure that these companies aren't just gonna lie? Yeah. So again, people driven. So if if they said, "Hey, uh, I am not replacing anyone's job," and if they went through that process, and if people are using it, wait a minute, you said this, and it's not. You know, they lose credibility. I think losing. We we know how weak some of these companies are. Tesla is as weak as one bad tweet. <laughs> yeah. Right. So. Uh, I, th- I think public have the power to sort of, you know, challenge if, if something is not right or, or, you know, so 
that there might there will be a process around it once once um, people applied. We haven't got that far yet uh, because we are still at the initial phase of getting the tool out to the public. Uh, but yeah, uh, we we we're going to be crowdfunding this as well, uh, which means uh, with 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 more support, we can put more energy and and experts to sort of design the whole process through it uh, we're looking for partners who could take ownership of certain uh, principles and sort of you know expand a bit more uh, we only have 150 questions at this minute uh, across five principles uh, but we're trying to make it like you know really refined and really you know seamless and smooth as well and, and effective without making this a, a very uh, a difficult governance process. It should be a bit more, you know, um, like a, like a guided tool for any innovators to get started with. And do you feel there's scope for, like, would it be a third party eventually that comes in and does this to the company so that you can ensure that trust is there? Or are you just going to expect the companies to do it and then hope that they don't get found out later if they're lying yeah so i think we haven't got to that stage yet uh we open for com companies to run it by themselves or some third party on their behalf if needed as long as that brand or product has gone through that process uh, from our side uh, there is one little check that we would request them to do is when they publish this call uh it, it will obviously go public but our team uh, be thinking of having three reviewers to review oh, that uh, yes. before it goes live. Uh, again, three independent reviewers so that my view and that person's view don't clash. And if they clash, it should be yeah. a good clash and we can challenge the innovators as well. So it's not something that um, will we will take it you know, on its face value. It's something that you know, we, we really want to ensure that uh, people are doing the right thing. Uh, for the society. And if someone wants to get involved, how can they go about doing that? We are, we are open uh, and, uh, you know, reaches out and we, we are absolutely uh, running on a tight budget, on a lean, uh, running on, with a lean team. And uh, this is something that we passionately believe in. So, you know, we spend a good amount of time and uh, energy to get to this stage. Uh, but yeah, more the merrier. And we are looking for project leads uh, and partners to sort of take ownership of certain elements. Um, we have legal firms who are trying to look into the right to intelligence side of things. If someone has already an existing framework, it really helps sort of, you know, give them guidance of, you know, this, this is our source, this is our partner. And, you know, we're sort of working on some of these elements with them. So, yeah. Just just get in touch with us. Our, our email address is publicintelligence at artechnoth.uk. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. And and like we mentioned before, the website should be up yeah. by the time this goes out. And yeah. I think it's an incredible dream. And I really hope that one day we can see that. I think there are many of us that are, are begging for more transparency. Yeah. And this feels like a great way to get that transparency, especially from the companies that we're using on a day-to-day -day basis. And it will help us be able to vote 
which companies we stand for, yeah. which company. And it's uh, right now, I think the problem with it, with the companies saying they're ethical is that they, it's easy to say that. <laughs> and it's easy to come up with some marketing ploy around it, right? The, yeah. uh, like I, I think about Apple and how they talked about, oh, well, because of sustainability measures, now we're not going to give you our, uh, our charging brick. But then in the new iPhones, my wife just got one and it comes with a USB-C cable. So it doesn't work with any of our old bricks. So I got to buy a brick anyway. Yeah. And, and this, is, this is exactly my point. Uh, again, going back to the, the um, purpose-driven and displacement protection, why do we have these many charges? Yeah. Why has Apple decided to just stick to that box standard charger for these many years? And contributing to us, you know, the, the the emission and climate problem, and doubling the amount of you know charger waste. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I, I think I think the answer is sometimes just simple and just to create their own USB and monopoly, and because they have the monopoly, they can do that. And I think they don't realize that the other end is people who are suffering, people who are actually paying you know good twelve hundred pounds for a brand new handset every two years. And this is this is just, A, not sustainable. And every displacement, what about the old handset? You just, that's an expensive paperweight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And that's it's, just one example. And we, we're doing the same with every other, you know, innovation out there. Cars, washing machines. Yeah, across all industries. All industry. And we, we, the globalization is just going to kill the planet at this rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I... I'm on the same page. I think that it's very, very pertinent right now. We need to look at what we're doing and and figure out what the best way forward should be. And so I really appreciate you trying to at least make that happen in a way that involves the whole uh, the whole humanity, we could say, if yeah. if we get to that point, right? It will involve everyone and everyone has a voice. Yeah. So, absolutely. Sharon, thank you so much for coming on here. I have one last question. Sure. Are you a robot? <laughs> I wish I was, because I need <laughs> 10 of me. <laughs> wish I could clone myself. Uh, but no, uh, I'm not. Uh, but I absolutely appreciate uh, what you guys are doing. Um, I wish I was a robot because I, I feel there's so much to do, uh, so much to serve, you know, serve and have a positive impact, uh, you know, uh, out there uh, in, in the real world. And something which I can't personally stand is, is you know, we, we're witnessing a digital robbery of intelligence and our hard-earned skills that we will witness in next, uh, you know, decade or so. And our generations will be suffering uh, massively. And someone needs to take this call. So I wish I was a robot. <laughs> I love the way your mind works and thank you so much for coming on here we'll thank see you for this opportunity thank you thank you it was a pleasure